I just, I feel like if there's anything I was taught throughout this journey, it's just to trust God and surrender to Him and that His plan is perfect. There's a purpose for everything. And we see the moment that we're in, but He has this entire story laid out for us. And I'm just thankful that this is mine. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Well, it's five days until Christmas. Christmas. Five I days. I still have so much Merry to do. Christmas. Tick tock, tick tock. <laughs> Today, before we get into our story, we had the most amazing email sent to us. And by the way, if you send us a message or an email, if you tell us how God's used a story in your life, our whole team knows within five minutes. <laughs> like, so true. We get love so excited. to share this. Mm. But this one was so powerful that we would like to share it. And so thank you to our friend who sent this, if you're listening. She said, hello, I'm a missionary on the edge of the Ecuadorian jungle with Global Outreach International, which is based in Tupelo, which is how she found us. And I recently came across the podcast. I want to thank you for touching the lives of so many women through God's Word and your stories. I'm the kind of person that was always for inductive Bible studies and not too much for stories. I like just digging straight into God's Word and inspiring a love for His Word. But the indigenous group where we work is very difficult to reach with just straight on lecturing, preaching, and teaching, and we've realized that storytelling is their culture. This is how they learn, remember, and relate. Your ministry is giving me a vision of how to reach the culture. And within that last couple of years, I have realized how important our stories are for God's use and His glory. Each of us have been given our story for His glory, and it's not for us to tell it, but it's for Him to use in the lives of others for His purpose. Mm. She went on to talk about more and more, but y'all, it gives me chills even now and that we've probably all read this multiple times, because what a profound use of a podcast, of a mm-hmm. of story. Of stories, mm-hmm. simple stories. We've said that, you know, stories are a powerful tool to bring people to the kingdom. And that is the mission of storytellers. And I love the intimacy of storytellers that we want to, and we are building community among our teams, among women that are gathering in cities all over the country, but also the huge reach that this podcast has, Robin, that you just shared. So we just humbly ask if storytellers has impacted you this past year, and you could donate to our ministry here at year end in the spirit of giving, in the season of giving, would you consider doing so? We have links on our website. You can scroll down here in the show notes. But, you know, God is blessing this ministry, and we are looking for people to partner with us so that more women literally around the world can hear stories of hope found in Jesus, so that community can be built here in our cities, and so that women can study the Bible through the Bible studies that we're offering. So please consider donating to our ministry. Every dollar will go towards spreading the hope of Jesus Christ. Now we want to tell you about our storyteller for today. I know. I'm so excited for everybody to hear Kristen Caudill's story. She is actually from Vestavia. And you know, one of the things that she says in her story is that a lot of times we see the moment that we're in, but God sees the whole story. So I don't know where you are today in your walk with Christmas around the corner. We're all in a lot of moments, right? (laughs) But I hope you know that, that the Lord sees you 
and He's with you. And I think it's so fitting. Kristen is from our flagship community, the community that started Storytellers yeah. Live, Vestavia Hills, and they are also our community spotlight on Patreon today. That's right, Lindy. I actually was able to speak to them at our community retreat back in August. I had so much fun talking with the four of them. They are just a delight to talk to, and they speak a lot about what Storytellers has done in their community. And then also, just so you guys know, next week we are doing a repost with Lauren Sisler, who actually spoke at our Stories of Hope luncheon two years ago. ago. And we're going to do a Where Are They Now on Patreon next Wednesday. So you'll have new content next Wednesday on Patreon and a repost of Lauren Sisler on the podcast. So here's Kristen's story. I know you're going to love it. Well, hi, I'm Kristen Cottle. I'm married to Matt, and we live here in Vestavia with our three kids, Elizabeth, Jack, and Brooks. Matt and I met in high school when we were 16, but um, we met through mutual friends and started dating our senior year. We graduated in 2004, and Matt went to work for a family business, and I went to school in South Carolina. It didn't last very long. I decided I wanted to come back and be with my family and with Matt. And um, so I moved back in December of 2004. Then in March of 2006, we found out that I was pregnant with our first child, Kaylin. So I knew growing up that we had this chromosome translocation that ran in our family and that I was a balanced carrier and that there was always a possibility that baby our babies would be affected. I'm healthy. I have no issues. But every time I become pregnant, there's a chance that the child can have an unbalanced form of this translocation. They can have normal chromosomes or they can have balanced chromosomes. So, of course, I was 18 years old, pregnant, not married. And so I was scared to death to tell my parents and kind of took it into my own hands for as long as I could. Went to a couple of doctor's appointments by myself, got told my OB about it and got all of the testing set up, then told my parents. And um, of course, they were supportive. And we uh, went for my testing to find out if the what the baby, if the baby had been affected. 20 weeks, we go into a genetic specialist at UAB and I have an amniocentesis done. And then also uh, the anatomy scan for them to look and see the typical things that they would look for at 20 weeks. And so, of course, they saw a lot of, a lot of anomalies. She had a severe heart defect where she only had two chambers of her heart. And so that was causing edema to build up throughout her body and her organs couldn't form. And so um, we knew that the prognosis was grim. And uh, as my pregnancy progressed, I also started building edema up throughout my body. And at 30 weeks, my blood pressure started to creep up. And so then they started monitoring my blood pressure. Of course, her the test came back that she was affected. She had an unbalanced chromosome translocation. So the only child that has ever lived in our family with this was my aunt's child, which goes back to 45 years ago or so. And um, and then he passed away at a week old. So other than him, all the babies have passed at birth or passed in utero. Anyway, 30 weeks, blood pressure starts creeping up. And at 32 weeks, 
I go in for a visit and it, my blood pressure is through the roof and I have all the markers for preeclampsia. And since things didn't look good, like I think they gave her like a 5% chance of survival. Um, they said that it would be best for me to go ahead and be induced and, um, see if they could do anything for her and get me out of danger, I guess. And so she was born and passed shortly after birth. She was born September 24th, 2005. And um, I remember sitting there and looking at Matt and both incredible. I mean, it was a very, very sad day. But at the same time, I just felt like this overwhelming peace um, and just knew that everything was going to be okay. And I told him that. It's like, we're going to be good. We're going to be fine. This is not punishment. This is not anything we did wrong. This is just part of our story. And at the time, we didn't realize it, but it just it led to something so much bigger. Um, so we got married in August of 2006, knew that we would wait a while to have more kids. We uh, just wanted to be newlyweds and take time to grieve. I needed to finish school, was in assisting school dental assisting school when all of this happened and then graduated and then finished hygiene school in 2008. And at that time we found out I was pregnant with Elizabeth. I would say we were pretty naive. We, you know, just assumed this, it wouldn't happen to us again. This is going to be great. We're going to have a baby and um, she's going to be great. And she was, she was good. And, you know, we thankfully, and, um, we had our testing done. Everything came back good. She is not a carrier of anything. She's Her chromosomes were perfect. And as far as we know, I think she's probably the only one in our family that does have, or at least on this side of like my side, that carries all this, um, the only person that doesn't have at least a balanced form of it. And um, so she was born. She was great. She was beautiful. You know, we took her home, which is not something we got to do with our first baby. And I was scared, so scared to take care of her. Like, I was just so timid. I remember the first time Matt was going to leave the house to go and just get out. And I I wouldn't let him leave. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. And he he was like, yes, you can. And it just took, uh, it took a while for me to, um, for us to create a bond. And I struggled with postpartum. I struggled with PTSD and um, it was difficult. And around a year, year or when she was a year, year and a half old, it all came to a head and I was diagnosed with severe anxiety. Tried to kind of take it into my own hands and, you know, work through it myself. And that didn't work. So went to doctors, got put on medicine and things started to get better. But I knew that me trying to be in control of this was not the answer. So once again, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to surrender and just give this to God and let him take it. And he did. And he, you know, things were good. We got better. A few years passed and 2012 and or 2013, we started talking about having another baby. And, um, we weren't as naive as we were at 22. And so I was 
we explored other options. We looked, we went to a fertility specialist and looked into doing IVF with pregenetic diagnosis um, just to kind of, you know, protect Elizabeth, really. I mean, we didn't want to have to, you know, go through what we went through with our first child again with a child. And, um, and so we started that process and, got a few appointments in and I just decided it was not the route that God wanted us to go. God had brought us to this decision to have another child and this, it just didn't feel right. And so, um, we walked away and got pregnant with Jack in 2013 and had our testing done with him. He's great. He was, so he's a balanced carrier. I had him Everything was perfect. My pregnancy was perfect. Um, my delivery was perfect. He was perfect. It was exactly what any mother would envision leading up to having a baby and j- that newborn stage and just all the love. And, um, you know, I didn't struggle with postpartum with him. And so I was just so thankful that the Lord had given me that opportunity to have that experience with him. Jack's here and we're done. We are done having babies. <laughs> we have two perfect kids. They're, you know, um, we're happy. A family of four is ideal, right? I mean, like you've got a parent for each child. So we're good. 2015, I found out I was pregnant with Brooks. And I remember waking up the morning I took the pregnancy test and knowing something wasn't right. I just didn't feel right. So I took the pregnancy test two peak lines popped up and I knew that it was not going to be the experience that we had just had with Jack. And so I went down to Matt's office and told him, you know, that I was pregnant and he was happy and I was happy. I was just super nervous. I I just had this gut feeling that things were not going to be okay. So we went to our regular OB who I feel like God had really orchestrated that ahead of time. He, our OB has a daughter that has a child with um, chromosome abnormalities. And so I felt like he knew how to guide our steps. He knew exactly what to say. He's a Christian man. And um, so we went in and uh, he listened for a heartbeat and couldn't find one. It was pretty early on. So we went and had an ultrasound done. And I told the ultrasound tech, like, we had this baby several years ago, and she has a chromosome or had a chromosome abnormality. They found this spot on the back of her neck, which is prominent, I think, in most kids with genetic abnormalities. It's just like a thickening on the back of the neck that they look for in an ultrasound. And then also she had an emphalocele, which is where the intestines are on the outside of the stomach in a sac. Um, and so... She looked for that, and she, of course, didn't say anything to us, but we came out of that room and went to our doctor's office, and he was like, you know, she sees all these markers that you've brought up, and um, he was like, but it's still early on, and he was like, I don't want you to, you know, give up hope, and he's like, I think we just need to go to your genetic doctor, let them do their testing, and, and see what comes of this, and so... I went to UAB actually the next day. We had a different type. 
testing had progressed and so we didn't have amnios anymore we had actually had this thing called the chronic villus sampling and so we could have it earlier in the pregnancy and get our results a little bit earlier but he looked at everything on the ultrasound like the anatomy and everything and looked back at me and I could just tell on his face like things weren't okay and he even said you know what I see like because just while he was measuring everything and the areas that he was looking at and I was like, yeah. And um, he said, we'll wait for this test to come back. But honestly, I don't think this is going to be good. And um, so I left that appointment that day very angry. I didn't understand why we were having to go through this again. No baby in our families lived with this. So, of course, we expected the worst. We expected this baby would pass as well. I would have to explain to my two children why they don't have a brother or sister. And I was just so mad. And I remember going to a friend and telling her, like, I don't know what to do with this anger. I've never felt like this before. I was angry at God. What do I do with that? I told her, I was like, I can't pray. I don't know what to pray. Every time I go to pray, it just nothing comes out. She was like, well, you know, God gives us people to intercede for us. And that's what I'm here for. And I'm going to pray for you. And we all went to church together. This lady and I went to church together, and she was like, you have tons of friends in a great community, and we're all going to pray, and it's going to be okay. All you need to do is be still and just listen to what God has to say. You don't have to pray. And um, so it I don't know if it was that following Sunday or a few Sundays after, she grabbed my hand during church service and took me up to the altar, and we just had like this moment of prayer with tons of people gathered around us. And again, I felt that peace that I had felt with Kaylin come over me. And I just like the, my sense of hope was restored. I just, I felt like it was going to be okay. It was just like that moment again. So I left that church service, a totally different person you know, started to feel hopeful. We would, we continued going to our genetic doctor and he would look and he's like, you know, he's got the same exact thing your daughter had. He's like, the only way I know how to tell you how to word it is like, you know, children with Down syndrome, you know, two separate kids with Down syndrome can look totally different, but they still both have three of the 20, you know, number 21 chromosome. And he was like, so yes, they have the same unbalanced chromosome translocation, but she had this heart defect and he doesn't. And, you know, he does have an emphalocele, but it's small. And he was like, I honestly don't even know if I should call it an emphalocele. It might be a hernia. And um, and he was like, he's got swelling around his ventricles, but that's not like a deal breaker. It's, you know, everything he saw, he was like, I think this can be fixed. And um, he said, now I can't say like, what the brain will do. I can't say that it, you know, his brain will tell him to breathe. I can't say that all his organs will function properly. He was like, but as far as what I see, I think he's going to be okay. We're going to have a lot of hurdles, but I think he's going to be okay. And so I had Brooks on July 25th, 2016. His was my worst delivery 
it was awful. I went into labor on my own and I had these like expectations. Like I was like, I'm not going to get an epidural. I'm going to be able to just get up and walk around and go see him in the NICU. And like, it's going to be fine. And, um, and of course, like I go into labor on my own, which I've never done before. I was always induced. And then I chickening out in the middle of it. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get an epidural. And um, and so they comment, bring the team in to do the epidural. The epidural didn't take. They actually hit a vessel instead of like where it was supposed to go. So they couldn't do the epidural. And they were like, so we can either try again, which I think we all know if we have kids that like, it's one thing for them to come in and do the epidural, but to say you're going to try again is a totally different thing. And so they were like, we can try again or we can, my water hadn't even broke at this point, that we can break your water and hopefully, you know, he'll come. And I'm like, okay, great. So that's what we decided to do. I was like, okay, I'm just not going to do this epidural. We're just going to power through. We're going to do this. And so I get to the point of pushing and he's not coming. Like, and it turns out he was face up, not face down to where he could like, you know, fold his shoulders in and get out. Anyway, they were like, well, he's in distress. You're in distress. You need a C-section. And so, um, so we went to have an emergency C-section and thankfully with the help of several nurses, I was able to sit still and get the block or whatever they do for C-sections. And so Matt was able to be in there. I was awake and, um, and so he was born and he was born crying and it was like the faintest little cry, but he was crying and he seemed to be okay. So, of course, they immediately took him to the NICU, and then it was hours before I was able to see him. But um, I did see him while he was still at UAB, and they moved him to Children's because he was going to be a surgery case because of his emphalocele. His emphalocele was skin-covered, which is not typical. Most of the time, emphalocele are like a membrane. And so it was like no rush to do anything about that, which was a huge blessing because he had so many airway issues and they that needed to be addressed and so anyway we started our NICU journey and uh, we went back and forth on uh, nasal cannula and CPAP and we were trying real hard to just get him to nasal cannula and he would be able to come home of course there were other things that were going on but that was the main issue and um in September, he ended up getting really sick with aspirative pneumonia, just re- couldn't recover. It would just seem to get better, and then it would get worse. In November, he ended up being intubated, and that was the first time he was intubated. And our neonatologist came in, and he was like, you know, I don't know what the future holds for Brooks. He was like, I don't know how long he has. We have nothing to go off of. And he was like, but I would assume y'all would want him at home and spending time with y'all and your family and not in the hospital. And he said, so I think the best thing we can do to give this a shot is to give him a trach. And um, he was like, it's going to be difficult. Like the, it's going to be difficult in your marriage. It's going to be difficult to learn. And um, he was like, but I think y'all can do it. And so we were like, okay, let's do it. And so he got a trach, I guess sometime the beginning of December and he instantly looked 10 times better. Like just, he looked happier and 
we have these pictures of like the days before and he just looks so sick. And then the day after he got his trach and he's got this little smile on his face and like he was just so much more comfortable. So we went through all of our training and then on January 21st, um, 2017, Brooks was able to come home. So almost six months in the NICU and I just look back at the timing of it and how perfect it was because Children's has so many restrictions now, but like the kids were able to be up there with us all the time. We, it was, I would take them to daycare, go up there and sit with Brooks, go back and get them from daycare and take them back with me. We'd have dinner there and they'd play in Children's Harbor and it was just great. They were involved as much as they wanted to be. The nurses were teaching Elizabeth how to like run the the feeding pumps and so I mean she we came home with a seven-year-old that could like connect his his feeding tube and start his feeds and so I mean it was great but and then I would say like within months of uh, him being discharged children's changed their whole protocol where 12 and up were the only ones allowed to be in the inpatient rooms and I mean I just couldn't imagine if they weren't able to be there with us and you know I'm just super thankful that that was God's timing for that. So anyway, we went home and learned how to function as a family of five with a child with lots of needs and carrying oxygen tanks everywhere with us. And he uh, was in and out of, hosp- out of the hospital for a good year after that, like just with respiratory viruses. And, but he was getting stronger. Still, no doctors could give us any prognosis. I mean, there was there was a little short stint where he was real sick, and they were like, he's going to need a home vent, uh, like a ventilator at home. And and then we fought through that, and he he was just he was he did really well. And then I guess it was probably about a year after we got home, he was able to start going to the Bell Center. And which was a huge blessing. He was receiving EI at home where they would come in and do therapy with him there. But to go to the Bell Center and for him to be in a group with other children and for me to be back into somewhere with social interaction for myself, just the therapists and the workers and the the volunteers that were there. It was just so it was it was good for me as much as it was for Brooks. And so Brooks, he was doing great and he's still doing great. And um, he's been at East for four, this is fourth year. And he started kindergarten this year. It's just been a sweet year to watch these sweet little kids um, get to know him and to include him. And there was a time after I had Kalen that I wondered like why God didn't think I was fit to care for a child with special needs. And, um, and I, that's not at all what he thought. I mean, I was made for this and Matt was made for this. Our kids were made for this and we just feel super blessed that we, you know, get to be his parents. And I just, I feel like if there's, Anything I was taught throughout this journey is just to trust God and surrender to Him and that His plan is perfect. 
there's a purpose for everything. And we see the moment that we're in, but he has this entire story laid out for us. And I'm just thankful that this is mine. Thankful for the opportunity to help to tell our story and for our community that has rallied around us and loved us so well. You know, in my opinion, today's story was just such a perfect follow-up from our 250th episode, just talking about the power of story. And I mentioned it at the beginning of just how Kristen spoke about that God sees the entire story. One other thing that she said in that that just hit me in the heart was sometimes what you don't want is exactly what you need Mm. and how God gives us that you know, what we don't want is exactly what we need. That was super powerful to me in her story. You could sit on those two points on that one and basing your faith on the moments of life. I could sit on those two things forever because it's so easy no matter what we've walked through, no matter what we're currently walking through, Mm -hmm. to go, yeah, life right now is not real great. It's not real easy. But to even look back, sometimes it doesn't take very long to go, oh, but it's exactly what I needed at the moment, Lord, to bring me to you and to learn this about you that I would have never learned any other way. And as we sit here and we look at Christmas, which is five days away, at the end of Kristen's story when she said, I knew I was made for this. Oh, that just made And so at at Christmas, you know, you think back to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how many times she must have thought, why me? Mm -hmm. Like, why why must I go through this? But God obviously made it (laughs) abundantly clear that she was chosen and created for for that special purpose. And so I loved how Kristen said that. I was like, how precious of the Lord just to— to bring that all to fruition. Right. And, you know, in the very beginning of her story, she talked about how they got pregnant early on and lost that baby. And she said this so quickly, but it stuck with me that losing the baby wasn't a punishment from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even talking about Mary, that's so interesting. I've never thought about it that way. But how easily our hardships can feel like a punishment when that's mm. that's not it at all. You know, it's it's God knowing exactly what we need and meeting us in those moments. But mm-hmm. I've never thought of it that way until she said it in this kind of conversation, right. sparking that in my mind even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that's you today, if you feel like whatever you're walking through is so difficult because it's a punishment from the Lord... Know that today it is not. Mm -hmm. Be assured that He is walking beside you and that He loves you and that nothing you do, nothing you're walking through is a punishment from past decisions. Mm -hmm. I know. I definitely think the theme of her story is, you know, not seeing the moment, but knowing that God sees the entire story. And I do, like you said, Lindy, just being so close to Christmas, it really is a moment for us to stop and reflect and be still about you know, the one moment that happened when Jesus Christ was born and what that means for all of us today. And so I I really hope that, you know, as as the Christmas season, I know it's in full swing right now and it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of the season, but you'll stop for a moment and just reflect on why He was born and that He was born so that He could die, really, and defeat death for us so that we could spend eternity with Him. And I think that in and of itself for every single one of us is something that we can all celebrate this Christmas no matter what moment you're going through. 
We just want to say Merry Christmas for for our entire Storytellers Live team and our ministry. And we just want to thank you, our listeners, for supporting this ministry and for all that you do in sharing stories of hope, passing along a story, sending us an email of encouragement. We are so grateful for you, and we hope that you have an incredible Christmas with your family. Yes, and next week, remember, we will not be here because we will be with our own families, but we will have a repost of Lauren Sisler, whose story we just loved, and we love her so much. She's become near and dear to us. And then, I mean, we will be right back on January 3rd with a brand new story with Courtney DeFeo. So we're so excited. And y'all, will talk to you in 2024. Yes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.